Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done already this morning uh, through the times that we've spent in Sunday Sync, through the time that we've spent in worshiping you through song and now through giving. And God, now I pray that you'll just anoint the, the, the preaching of your word, Lord, that you will inspire us, you'll motivate us, you'll challenge us, you'll convict us, and that, Lord, we will know that when we're done that we've been in the presence of the Lord. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Uh, so again, this morning, instead of having you turn to a particular passage of scripture, I'm going to have most of the passages that we talk about on the screen. So, uh, just stay tuned for that, but kind of kicking off this morning, I, I just want to share a bit of good news with you. Uh, we are right around the corner from flu season. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Yes. Everybody is excited about flu season because what we all want is a little bit more flu virus, right? I mean, yes, time off from work. It's, it's great. Kids don't have to go to school, man. It's flu season and we all can't wait. Wrong. Man, we can't, we despise the flu. We despise the virus, the flu virus, man. And in fact, we hate, we hate virus so bad that we, we use virus to describe all sorts of bad things, right? Anytime something is deadly, uh, a lot of times we'll, we'll call it a virus. When something lingers longer than we think it ought to, we'll call it a virus. Have you ever, have you ever talked about somebody who's just kind of hanging around longer than they should and you say, man, they're like a bad virus, they just won't go away? Maybe you said, yeah, yeah, it's like, so if, if, you're ever, if you're ever compared to a virus in that regard, just they're not complimenting you. So we'll use it for people that just, just won't go away. We'll, we use the term virus for things that are destructive. Um, when a computer gets bad stuff on it and it starts messing up, don't you love that? Don't you love when your computer doesn't work like it's supposed to? And usually what's behind that is something that we call what? A virus. Man, I mean, nobody, nobody likes a virus. And, and we don't like them for a lot of good reasons. I mean, they just sort of attack out of nowhere. You don't see it coming. And when it comes, it messes with things just terribly. They're, they're incredibly rapid at duplicating themselves and reproducing themselves. They change all the time. They're an incredible challenge, not only for the medical community, but the technical community. Viruses are just a bad thing. Viruses are bad news. But can virus ever be a good thing? Can virus ever actually be a good thing? What if, what if the gospel could be spread in the same manner as a virus? What if the good news of Jesus Christ was as easy, spreading it was as easy as shaking hands with somebody or, or sneezing in their face. What if it was that easy? Wouldn't that be great? I mean, we're all so scared about sharing the gospel, but what if sharing the gospel was that easy? And is it, is it really all that hard to imagine that it is? Because I think for some of us, because of our experience with spreading the gospel, it scares us. 
We think it's one of the hardest things in the world to do, but what if it were that easy? Can you imagine if it was? Well, I would suggest to you that we actually have a wonderful example of that because isn't that exactly what happened after that well-known day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two, when the spirit fell, they preached the word and the gospel spread everywhere. The gospel started at ground zero in Jerusalem with virtually no converts. And from that moment in Acts chapter two, within two years, the entire province of Asia had been, the the gospel had spread throughout that entire province. And that's pretty impressive. But let me tell you something even more impressive. Within 30 years, the gospel had spread through the entire Roman empire in 30 years now you think well that sounds good but what's the big deal well I thought you might benefit from just a an illustration what you see up there is an outline of the Roman empire set over North America United States portions of Mexico and Canada that is the Roman empire so right in the middle where you see the United States that's Italy the boot of Italy Down here where you see San Francisco, that's Spain. If you work up, that's the UK. And then over here, Georgia, Alabama, Georgia, that's that's the Holy Land down through the the Sinai Peninsula and the northern uh, portions of Africa. Folks, the Roman Empire covered an enormous area. And in days where there were no telephones, no telegraphs, no cell phones, no TV, no internet. In just 30 years, the gospel went from virtually nobody, only a handful of people, to spreading through the entire Roman Empire. Does that not amaze you? Can the gospel actually spread like a virus? I would say yes. We've seen it actually happen. And we saw it happen with none of the conveniences, none of the tools that are available to us today. Now, in our world today, when a video kind of suddenly blows up and everybody sees it all over the world, that video is said to have gone what? Viral. See, we all know that. Now, usually when we use the word virus, it's always a bad thing. But church, I want to challenge us all this morning to understand the concept of the gospel as a virus that needs to blow up and spread throughout the world. And we need to see how we can be partners and partnering in that effort. So let's go back to a virus for just a second. Because when a virus gets in an organism... It doesn't want to just create like a nuisance. I mean, if that's all it did, we wouldn't have multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical business trying to fix viruses, trying to fix flus. But when a virus gets into an organism, it doesn't want to just like, well, let's just make it a little uncomfortable. No, it wants to take over. A virus, when it inhabits an organism, it wants to take over. It gets into a cell. It tries to destroy that cell from the inside out so that now it's in charge. Then it starts to duplicate itself until it's in control of the organism. That's the purpose of a virus. Now, church, I want to tell you this morning, I think we as Christians, there's a lot that we can learn 
from a virus because when Jesus comes into our life, he doesn't want to just be some little uh, uh, portion of our life that maybe makes small modifications. We make little adjustments in. Jesus, when he comes into our life, he wants to take over. And just like a virus wants to take over whatever it inhabits, the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, when it invades your life, he wants full, complete control. And you know what? He's going to stir things up in your life until that happens. Now, when Leslie and I were in Peoria, uh, we used to take uh, the teenagers there to this uh, conference uh, several years in a row, a, a conference called Dare to Share. And it was uh, about sharing the gospel. And it was, it was put on and, and uh, presented specifically for teenagers. Are any of you familiar with Dare to Share? Okay, quite a few of you. It was led by a guy named Greg Steer. Now, if you have ever thought that your pastor, that me, uh, is a bit wired on Sunday morning, you ain't seen nothing yet. That dude, Greg Steer, he's about 10 times as wired as I am. He is the Energizer Bunny maxed out. He is incredible. I love listening to that guy. I'm inspired by that guy every time I ever saw him. Uh, but I bring him up because he has suggested that there are three essentials for the gospel to spread effectively. Here are the three things that he says. First of all, it needs a carrier. That's an originator. It needs, the gospel needs a carrier to take it around. It needs to be contagious. And by contagious, that means that it's spread by contact. And then third, it needs to be infectious because an infection is taking over. So those are the three elements of the effective spread of the gospel. It needs a carrier, somebody to take it around. It needs to be spread through contact. And once it's spread, it needs to have this infectious quality that takes over the organism that it has set up camp in. And so I would summarize that by saying this. You and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to become carriers of the contagious infection of the gospel everywhere we go. Amen? Amen? I want to give you two examples. Um, one is an example that I, I know everybody my age and older is going to be familiar with, but I, I'm just curious uh, how many of the younger generation has any idea who this is? Okay, so if you are, uh, let's say you're 30 years of age and younger, how many, if, when, I, when I say this name, I wanna know how many of you recognize who this is? Typhoid Mary. If you're 30 years of age and you know who Typhoid Mary is, raise your hand. 30 years of age and younger. Wow, what is happening to our education system? Is that not amazing? Those of you who are over 30, does this not amaze you? Never heard of Typhoid Mary. Okay, Typhoid Mary was born in Ireland and uh, she immigrated to the United States in the late 1800s. Uh, in the early 1900s, in, the, in the, her early 30s, uh, she was hired as a cook at, at sort of a residence place where there were like 11 apartments in, in an area of New York. And as she took up uh, her job there as a cook, 11 or six out of 11 people residents in residence there contacted and developed uh, typhoid, 
Well, that's a a highly contagious thing. It's a a terrible thing. People died from typhoid. So they got to find out what is going on. So the the health people came in trying to figure out what in the world is going on. How do six out of 11 people in one area come down with typhoid? And they did all sorts of research and, and investigation. And it took them a long time to understand that it was Mary who was the cook who was spreading the typhoid. And they didn't quite get it. It took them a long time to figure it out because she wasn't sick. Typhoid Mary was a carrier of a contagious, infectious thing called typhoid, but she wasn't sick. And so nobody suspected her. And it took them a long time. And when they finally figured it out, they isolated her from, from the community at large and they tried to treat her just like, I mean, you would try to treat anybody that has an illness and a sickness. And so they treated her for in all sorts of different ways. And the attorney general of the state of New York was like, well, we, we, we can't keep her like this. We have to release her back into the general population. But they asked her, please don't go back to cooking. And she agreed, no, I won't, I won't cook. But guess what? She had no intention of honoring that agreement. She loved to cook apparently. And so when she was released back into the public, she took on a different name and went back to cooking. And guess what? Typhoid started to spread again. There were over 3,000 people in New York who contacted typhoid because of typhoid Mary. She was a carrier of a contagious infection and it affected everybody that she came into contact with through her cooking now that was a, that's a bad example but i would suggest to you we have an incredible example of a of a gospel person doing the exact same thing and that's the apostle paul paul was a walking epidemic of the gospel just a walking epidemic of the gospel. And I want to share with you this morning a few of the examples of what went on in the life of Paul. So first of all, he was a carrier. Paul was a carrier of the gospel. Now, what does it mean to be a carrier of the gospel? That means that it goes with you wherever you go. Now, I think this is one of the big challenges for us as Christ followers in a modern world. We don't mind at all bringing our Bible to the church, raising our hands on a Sunday morning, saying glory to God, thank the Lord for his goodness, thank the Lord for his grace, telling our brothers and sisters, man, let me tell you what God's done, it's been really good. But you put that Bible down, you put it in a safe place so you can find it next Sunday. But then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, You don't want anybody to see that. And so you try try to go wherever it is that you go in your existence, in your daily life, separated from the gospel. You're not a carrier of the gospel if that is what you're doing. See, for the effective spread of the gospel, it needs a carrier, somebody that says, you know what? I believe this not only on Sunday morning, 
I believe it in the middle of the week. I believe it when my car breaks down. I believe it when the person in my family is sick. I believe it when the person at my job uh, protest against what I say I believe. I believe it when it's great. I believe it when it's bad. I believe it when the sun is shining. I believe it's when it's raining. I believe it 24-7 because I stand on the word of God and I will be a carrier. Church, the world needs gospel carriers. If you read Acts 28, which we will not do today, but I challenge you to read Acts 28, Paul carried the gospel wherever he went. If he was shipwrecked, he carried the gospel. If he was in prison, he carried the gospel. If he was in the public square, he carried the gospel. If he was shopping for a new camel, he carried the gospel. If he was in the checkout line of Walmart, he carried the gospel. Whatever Paul was doing, he carried the gospel with him. There was no separation between his personal secular life and the life that Jesus had infected and saved him. He was who he was wherever he went all the time. He was a carrier. Church, we need to be carriers. Not only was Paul a carrier, his gospel was contagious. That means that it was spread by contact. Paul's gospel was spread by contact. Let me show you a few verses on the screen. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20. Paul is talking about prayer and he says, pray for me. The utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth. What's the next word? Boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak. What's the next word? Boldly as I ought to speak. Paul said, hey, pray for me that wherever I am, I'll be bold to speak the word that whoever I come in contact with, guess what? This is going to rub off on them because they ain't getting away from me without hearing some of this. Pray for me so that I can do that. All right, let's look at another passage of scripture. Colossians chapter four, verses three and four. Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul was constantly asking his friends, churches everywhere, pray for me that wherever I go in whatever situation I'm in, that I will always have the courage of my conviction to speak the word of God, to spread the gospel with everybody that I come in contact with. Help me to never be afraid of speaking and sharing God's word and the hope of Christ. So as we look at Paul's life when he was in prison, he always took the opportunity of his imprisonment to share the gospel. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that if I was in prison, that's not the first thing I'd be thinking. Like my first thing I'm thinking is how do I get out of here? Amen. Amen. Like, who's going to bust me out? Who's going to break me out? Man, there's got to be a way out of this. Paul's like, all right, man, I'm going to get get to share the gospel. Look look at this passage in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, 
that what's happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, he is writing from prison. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Now, I'm pretty sure that if somebody in this church, whether it was me or one of our other pastors, if we had a pastor friend somewhere, that somebody walked into their church, arrested them for sharing the word of God and took them to prison, man, we would all be up in arms. And we'd be praying, God, you got to fix this. We'd be protesting down at the police department, at the, at the state capitol bill. We'd be protesting somewhere. We would not be okay with that. And Paul is writing his church for us. Hey, brother, sister, don't worry about it. God's got this. I'm in, I'm in prison for Jesus. What? Yes, because it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard. I'm in chains for Christ. Now, in the Amplified Version, some other versions, they clarify the palace guard as the Praetorian Guard. Now, the Praetorian Guard was a 9,000-unit uh, element of the Roman soldiers. And these were like the best of the best. 9,000 of the best of the best. And they, had, they got double pay, and they had basically two functions— to serve as security guards for the emperor, pretty big deal, and to be guards for anyone, any Roman citizen who had requested an appearance with the emperor. So that means that Paul had an audience with the Praetorian Guard because Paul had said, I'm a Roman citizen. I want, a, I want an audience with the emperor. Why? Because he's going to share the gospel with the emperor. Sweet. But it also gave him a chance to share the gospel with the Praetorian Guard. Now, he was... He was guarded 24-7 by one of the guards. But every four hours, he was actually in chains together with one of the guards. They didn't just have a guard like standing outside making sure he was not doing anything messed up. They would lock and chain another guard right beside him and they changed shifts every four hours. Paul not only had one standing outside, he had one chained to him 24-7, and they changed every four hours. So, doing a little math, over a period of two years, Paul actually was chained and had the opportunity to share the gospel with 4,220 men of the Praetorian Guard. These were movers and shakers in the Roman Empire in the days to come. These were men that had been identified as people who were going to help shape and lead and form the Roman Empire. And in two years, Paul had a front row seat chained to him and an un unmitigated opportunity for four hours to share the gospel with 4,220 of the most important people in the Roman Empire. And it's interesting that he says, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everybody else that I'm in chains for Christ. What do you think Paul was saying there? He's saying, you know what? They're all getting infected. They're all getting infected. 
Yeah, I'm hanging out in prison. I'm chained. I ain't going anywhere. But God said, that's all right. I'll bring them to you. 4,220. And just like that, influence is spreading for the cause of Christ because Paul was a carrier of the gospel and he practiced a contagious gospel. Whoever he came in contact with, they're going to hear that Jesus died for your sins and he loves you. Lastly, his gospel was infectious. Now, how do you know that it's infectious? Because an infection starts to take over people's lives. It starts to change things. That's what an infection does. That's how you know you've got it. Something is not the same. Philippians chapter 1, verse 14. This is the last verse I'm going to share with you today. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, here's what happened to them. They are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Do you catch that? That's how you know that he was sharing an infectious gospel. Because the people that he was talking to as he shared the gospel, they were becoming even more bold themselves to share the gospel. The gospel was taking over their lives, church. And I would suggest to you that when we are not praying and seeking and pleading for God to help us be carriers of a contagious, infectious gospel, we are missing the joy of our very Christianity. Because it is when we start to see those lives that are, are impacted and changed, infected by the only thing that can change their life from the inside out that starts to raise us up, that starts to bring enthusiasm to a new place in our lives. When we're dragging around as believers, when we are losing hope, the fastest way to change that paradigm is to start sharing the love of Jesus with someone else and see it change their life. The whole Roman Empire was impacted and affected because Paul shared the gospel enthusiastically. You know, when you share the gospel, when I share the gospel, we should never apologize. Do you know that? Man, don't apologize. Don't say, you know what? I, I hope this doesn't offend you. Paul never asked, I said, I hope I don't offend you. Because the gospel is the truth of Jesus. It's the story of hope. It's a story of love. It's a story of redemption. What is there to apologize for? All what we need to do is say, man, let me tell you about the most wonderful thing that's ever happened in my life. You may agree, you may not agree, but let me tell you about what it's done for me, man. I've had some hard things in my life, but Jesus has been good. And I believe he died on the cross and he saved me. And that's what helps me get through these hard days. That's what helps me get through these hard things. And when you just simply with joy and enthusiasm share the hope of the gospel, lives start to change, church. And I think sometimes we get really um, kind of hamstrung 
because we think we need this great big program in the church. We think we need this uh, time-consuming training program to make sure that we are prepared to share the gospel. And you know what? You know what that is? Two, it's two things. One, it's an excuse so that we don't have to do it. And two, it's a lie from Satan. Because Jesus doesn't need a program for you to share what he's done in your life. He doesn't. You don't need an event to share what Jesus has done in your life. And so that contagious, infectious gospel that is carried by us everywhere we go, it doesn't, it doesn't start with a program, it doesn't start with training, it starts in our heart. It starts with a heart that is just thankful, right? That's just overwhelmed by the love of Jesus. It starts with a heart that just says, man, I don't, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve what Jesus did. I don't deserve salvation, but he gave it to me. And I may not be the best speaker in the world, but I wanna tell you who Jesus is to me and I hope he becomes that to you. That's all it takes. Church, we will ever, ever, ever become the church that God wants us to be. It's got to start with people who are just willing to say, thank you, Jesus. How can I tell somebody else? I hope you'll start doing that tonight. I hope you'll start doing that Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, and I hope that that will begin to uh, a firestorm of the spread of the gospel in a viral way in this area because we've been infected by the love of Jesus. Would you stand with me as we pray, Father? We just stand in awe this morning of your love for us, of your willingness to sacrifice for us, to redeem us, to restore us. Lord, help us to be faithful, to be carriers of that good news, to not isolate it off from a part of our lives, but God, to just carry it wherever we go, that when we come in contact with somebody, that it's just a natural part of our conversation with them. And that, Lord, we have the joy of watching it infect lives because it's infected ours. God, we pray for a harvest of souls beginning tonight. And Lord, we even pray that it might begin this morning. If there's anyone here this morning that isn't sure if they're a Christian, isn't sure if Jesus truly is their Lord and Savior, I pray they'll have the courage this morning to come and take my hand and, and pray with me and let's, let's make sure of that. Lord, for anybody else, whatever is on people's hearts, I pray that they'll have uh, the, the courage and, and the, the fortitude, God, to step out, come kneel at the altar, and uh, begin to work through that and work on it in Jesus' name. 
Amen.